0: (laughs) Do you want proof that I'm a millennial? I record things. A lot. I probably wouldn't take the prize for most well-documented millennial, but I'm no technophobe. All the sounds you're hearing are voice recordings I've made over the past few years. And I don't just record voices, I take videos, and hundreds and hundreds of photos. By the count at the bottom of my iPhoto homepage, I've got 15,921 photos and 1,623 videos. It's staggering. I feel like I've got this almost compulsive need sometimes to record what's going on around me. The voice memos are maybe a little more unique, fueled by my passion for radio and my habit of making little podcasts about everyday happenings, but I don't think I'm alone in my desire to capture what's happening. A hilarious mishap? The weight of the product I isolated in ChemLab? Cool sounds? A friend's sax solo at a battle of the bands? You can bet, unless I'm consciously keeping myself in the moment, that I'm whipping out either my phone or an audio recorder to capture it all. A little while ago, I was looking back through my photos when I happened upon a photo of my friend on a bus in the West Bank looking at a map, which I literally did not remember happening. Don't misunderstand, I know I went to the West Bank, but that entire interaction, her ever having a map of the region or any part of that moment was entirely non-existent in my brain, which was unsettling. Here I am, taking pictures to remember, and I lost a whole chunk of something that I'd wanted to keep in my brain. Did I just lose a memory? Did I even remember it in the first
1: place? (sighs) How did I become interested in memory? Um, you know, really just from my own life experiences, just constantly recalling things from the past and realizing how different my recollections were from other people's recollections and, and just that sort of natural life experience of that. Um, also just trying to understand what a memory is, you know, so, so this idea that like, like I can close my eyes and think about something and I can be transported back in time to something that happened 30 years ago or two weeks ago and and really just fascinated that a bunch of neurons (laughs) and the electrochemical signals between them could produce this subjective experience that we call remembering.
0: Welcome to the MEMS podcast. It's time to call in the big guns, or someone who actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to
1: memory. Yeah, my name's Linda Hankel. I'm a professor of psychology at Fairfield University.
0: I called Dr. Henkel up because of her research, which has, for years, focused on memory and nostalgia. The first order of business? Dispelling some memory myths.
1: People, people often have this view that, that memories are almost like a videotape, like this little snippet that's been recorded in your brain, and you can just hit play and, and, and replay that. But But remembering an event, even just what we encode into memory, is already an interpretation of reality. Our biases, our expectations will color and shape what we're taking into our brains. And then the act of remembering something, the way that memories are stored, every time you remember an event, an episode, you run the risk of that memory being changed. It kind of activates those neurons and they're in this this, this state that they can have new information attached to it. You know, so everybody can relate to the example of, you know, an old boyfriend or girlfriend that they had broken up with and, and what you remember about that relationship changes. <laughs> Once upon a time, you love this person and now you're like, oh, I always knew they were a jerk, right? Um, and so, so we repaint our past constantly. Our memories are malleable. They're always changing and being affected. Even just telling people stories. So if I told you, oh, the time I went to niagara falls i emphasize certain details i might exaggerate them without realizing it i leave out other details all those things change and shape our memories now some memories are relatively accurate some are so wrong it's absolutely stunning um but but it's a natural process of memory that memories are always changing and being added to and subtracted from
0: with this VCR tape malleable view of memories in mind, I asked Professor Henkel to tell me about her research on phototaking and memories. She published a study in 2013 in the journal Psychological Science, which was what led me to reach out to her in the first place.
1: Yeah, so that that's the research project that, that I had published in the Psychological Science article. And I was so fascinated with this idea because I, like millions of others, take dozens and dozens of photos every day. And, and what I found in that study, I had people walk around a museum and look at some of the objects of art. And then some of them, after they looked at them, they took a picture of them. And I found that they engaged in this almost sort of trophy hunting behavior. Like, okay, I got my picture, now let me move on to the next thing. And it turned out that taking the photo allowed you to almost dismiss it from memory because you knew the camera would remember for you. And so when we rely on these external memory devices, we don't think about those things. So people wound up remembering fewer objects of arts and fewer details about them if they had taken a photo of them. And, and what that tells us is sometimes when we, like we write something down in a journal so we don't have to think about it again, or we tell your, you tell your best friend, oh, remind me to do this, and then you don't have to think about it. When we rely on external sources for our memory, when we outsource our memory to these other things, then we don't necessarily remember them as well. Now, taking photos can help memory if you're engaged, if it's something that you're focusing your attention on and, you know, getting you more involved in the scene. But, but the initial study I run had shown that, you know, if you just sort of like snap, move on, next, um, that, that can produce the photo taking impairment effect.
0: So do you think that overall our memories are worse for the number of photos we tend to take?
1: You know, it's a two-edged sword because the photos provide really good retrieval cues later on if you take meaningful photos so if you look at those photos later on it can help you resurrect can help you reconstruct those things that you might not remember as well Um, and the reason I say it's a two-edged sword though is because what you choose to photograph and what you don't choose to photograph is therefore going to influence your memory but we take so many photos, and we take photos of minutiae that they're, they're not useful memory cues. We don't look at our photos that often. We just sort of amass them. <laughs> and what winds up happening is if you just collect photos but not look at them, the memory benefits are going to come from looking at them. Um, but it also depends on the quality of the photo. You know, think about all the pictures people have taken of, oh, here's a plate of food, and here's, here's my painted toenails with the beach in the horizon, Those are not useful cues. 20 years later you will have no idea what beach you were at what restaurant you were at those kinds of photos are not useful photos that you're in photos that show the context here I am at a restaurant table and I'm smiling with the plate you know the plate of food in front of me and then I can see the clothes that I'm wearing I can see the background and say oh that was that Italian place in that town Um, and you can get a lot of cues from the photos that can help you remember more details but if you're taking too many photos so that you never wind up looking at them. Because um, it's daunting. Think about how many photos you have on your phone right now. Think about how many photos you've taken in the past two years. <laughs> when are you going to look at them and organize them? Um, so so those are two things that can kind of work against you. This
0: all speaks to my experience. My 15,000 photos don't really do me much good if I don't look at them. But the ones I do review, the ones I've favorited and look back at and feel nostalgic about. Those ones keep memories, even from years ago, alive and well. But that begs the question, did even taking those cherished photos change the way I experienced the whole thing in the first place? Am I experiencing
1: less as I take more photos? Sometimes it's going to come down to what your mindset is so the photo the, the camera can be a barrier right it can you get so caught up in what you're staging what you're doing that that you're you're not engaging with the actual experience around you and, and a classic example of that is at concerts we all go to concerts and we pull out our cameras and we start making these faraway shots that these you know, they're not very good videos at all right um, you know you're better off just buying the person's you know, commercial releases, you'll get a much better video of it. Um, but when you're doing that, you're actually looking at this small screen instead of the real live human being performing in front of you. So absolutely, they can distance us from things. But, but, but there are instances where photos, when we're enjoying it, when it is part of the experience, when, when it's making us focus our attention on things, that, that, that it doesn't necessarily have to take you away from the experience. Uh, but it's very easy to to be so caught up in, I'm going to get this selfie, I'm going to get this picture, you know, that that you're not really engaged meaningfully with, with your environment around you. Here's something. I
0: know even as an amateur photographer, I don't take my photos on the same camera. I do use my phone a whole bunch, but I am also often packing a film camera or a disposable camera. And when I'm abroad, I'll mix in a good DSLR for the high quality shots. When I was in high school, I would sometimes agonize over portraits and their lighting for probably far too long, considering how young and undisturbed I was. It doesn't seem like phone photography and finer photography would follow the same rules of memory, would they?
1: Yeah, so so when my article first came out, I heard from a lot of photographers who were like, I remember every photo I've taken. You know, they're they're using their attention, they're making decisions, they're making artistic judgments as they look through that lens, right? Um, and so, so they're, they're very engaged in that experience. A theme emerges.
0: Intention, engagement, and focus lead to better tools of remembrance and sort of hurdle that problem that arises when we take photos of any and everything.
1: Now, the thing to remember even when that happens, a photograph is not a representation of reality. A photograph is an interpretation of reality. So the lighting, what you put in the photo and what you left out, so there's three people sitting at a table and you shot two of them, What You know, you don't have a representation of the third person, right? Um, You know, we alter our photos after with filters. We crop things out. You know, so all the things that go into taking a photo, people often assume, oh, now I know the truth. As long as I have the photo or the video, that tells me what really happened. But the photo angle can make things look very different than they are. So all this research with um, police officers wearing these body cams, which is a great idea in many ways. But the police officer might be looking off to his or her side and seeing somebody with a weapon. And that isn't necessarily shown because their chest, where the camera is, is aimed in a different direction. It can make people look bigger than they are. It can make things look more chaotic than they were. And so, so you know, you're just seeing this limited moment and not the full context. And so, so, you know, photos photos give us one representation, one interpretation of a small slice of of the entire scene.
0: Think about the series of videos from earlier this year on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, where different clips with different cuts and different angles seem to show radically different scenes of a standoff, confrontation, interaction between Native American activists and school-age March for Life participants. Angles, what was left in and out of videos, all this changed the viewer's perspective. And this jogged my memory about some of Professor Henkel's newer work. Does editing our photos actually edit our memories of what's
1: portrayed in those photos? Well, so far, preliminary pilot results are looking like, yeah, when you cut things out of photos, it makes it harder to remember them later on. Um, Because what winds up happening over time we remember the photos more than the original experience and so think about all your childhood memories that you have and your parents probably took videos of you and lots of photos that's what you wind up remembering not so much the stuff that wasn't captured and and so you know when we change those things it's so easily available to us now to just crop things out or change the color or even just the silly things that we do you put little dog ears on or you know change change the appearance of things. I mean, nobody's going to falsely remember, oh, I think I had dog ears in real life, you know, but, but you're altering what that, what that interpretation of reality is, and it's very easy to do. We mm-hmm. have the technology just in our hands, you know.
0: Sometimes when I'm feeling especially nostalgic after looking at photos of something that happened a year, maybe two years ago, I think, wow, I'm such an old fogey. Nostalgia is such an old person thing. But is it really? Does the way we remember or reminisce about things differ between older adults and younger adults, or between adults and children?
1: Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, across the lifespan, people engage in reminiscence. So, so a, l- a long time ago, people thought, oh, that's just something older adults do. But, but young adults engage in reminiscence, thinking about their past. They do it for different reasons. Reminiscence serves different functions um, at, at different stages of life and at different moments that we're in. Um, so, so younger adults, you know, often, often engage in, in reminiscence for their self-identity. They talk about the things that they've done and who they've done those things with, and it builds up their image of who they are as a person. Older adults engage in... Uh, They might engage in some unhealthy styles of reminiscence, for example, replaying the past and thinking about regrets, um, and that's associated with depression in older adults. But there's some healthy ways of engaging in reminiscence um, that that really kind of promote giving back. So older adults think about the meaning of their life and the purpose of their lives and the ways in which they've helped people. Um, It makes them feel closer to to even loved ones that they've lost. And so, so there's different functions of reminiscence. Um, acro- across the lifespan. You know, people often think, oh, once you're 18, you're grown up and that's it, you've, you've finished developing. But but development takes place over the lifespan, not as rapidly. You know, from, from zero to five is huge changes. From from zero to 18, huge changes. But you're not the same person when you're 38 as when you were 18 and when you're 48 and 58. People continue to change and, and grow um, throughout the lifespan. And and there are definitely neural changes that that go along with with how the brain works per se um, but some of it is different goals different values different purposes different things you're focused on in life um, you know so so people in their 20s and 30s you know they're very focused on on building their careers on on establishing a family older adults have already done that they're looking at the bigger picture what is their legacy what are they leaving behind um, you know so so there's just different naturally occurring kind of things that go along with with aging that may not be about changes in the brain.
0: So the way we use nostalgia and reminiscence changes as we grow older. But now I'd worked my way around to asking about something I really wanted to know about myself. Here I am, one of the youngest millennials, just graduating university, and although I'm young, I feel a much more profound sense of nostalgia than I think my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents felt when they were young. Could that be traced to my more pronounced relationship with technology, the ease with which I can access photos and videos of past events and such?
1: Yeah. So, so the the interesting thing with nostalgia, so one of the examples you just brought up, you know, like when you're graduating, people actually use those feelings of nostalgia as almost like an emotion regulation strategy. When we're facing major stresses, major life changes, um, you know, going on, we often get nostalgic reminiscing about, you know, past times where we felt safe, where we were happy. And that helps us regulate the kind of Scarier your emotions of uncertainty and stress and things like that. So people actually do engage in reminiscence in a very functional way um... it it provides benefits it helps us feel good and when we share those reminiscences with others people who were part of the experience or just bonding with people you know it may not have been an experience you shared with somebody but you talk about this great trip you took and then somebody else talks about their great trip and it brings you closer together so those kinds of things can really promote intimacy and and you know kind of social bonding experiences and and when faced with big life changes you often see people more likely to engage in those Kinds of things.
0: So you're saying that reminiscence is kind of, it's not just an individual thing, it can actually bring people together and have social function.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. By sharing by sharing our reminiscences with people, so there's there's reminiscence therapies that they do um, for people. uh, You know, as they're getting older, for example. Um, So nursing homes will do reminiscence therapy. They do it for people with depression. Uh, They do it for older adults. You know, finding ways to reflect on your past that that promote you know kind of better mental health and well being.
0: It seems pretty clear that we, and by we, I definitely mean I, have a relationship with cameras and technology that's messing with our memories. But is there a way to fix the problem of over-externalizing our memories? Can we revitalize our memory and the way we view things by just taking less photos? Is it that easy or simple of a
1: relationship? I I think taking fewer photos, being more mindful of what you're, you know, what you're taking the photos for. And But some of that also is think about what functions the photography is serving for you because there's at least two different functions, right? One function is I want to capture important experiences that I want to be able to look at later and use this to help me remember. And that's one function that photography serves. You're going to use a very different strategy for that. You don't need a million pictures for that, for instance. You need a couple really good pictures and you need to look at them after you've taken them. But a different function that photography serves is just as a way of communicating to people. So, how many times have you on Snapchat? You've had a really hard day, and you just pull out your camera and make a face of you rolling your eyes and send it off to your friends. That's that's just you saying, "Oh my God, can you believe it?" You know, um, and and so it's just communicating. So, so we use our photos and and you know uh, you know video clips to communicate how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, um, and and that's different. That's a very different function. We're not trying to record important life events because we want to remember. Them those so so you 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 would use different strategies you know for the kinds of photography that you you want to use more as a tool to help you remember your your personal past and and for those kinds of things yeah take taking a little bit less photos and making sure that you organize and look at those photos you know over time. Don't wait 20 years, <laughs> you know. So, so looking at those, rehearsing those, and sharing those experiences with others, talking about them, that's, that's what brings those memories to life. And that's what keeps those memories strong and, and you know, kind of vivid parts of, of your past.
0: I think I need to take fewer photos. That's the conclusion I'm coming to after talking to Professor Henkel. Not that taking photos is bad, because, I mean, I wouldn't have remembered that bus ride with the map of the West Bank without the photo I found the other day of my friend. Using my photos isn't problematic unless I never review them, which I clearly don't do quite often enough. And really, who can hold 15,000 photos worth of memories all at once? Professor Henkel's research shows that photos aren't very useful to memory unless we take them with intention. And even then, they aren't a reality, since editing photos can change the memory itself. But they're more of a memory trigger to show us the physical context and maybe some details. And as for whether my old soul nostalgia for the past, present, and future is tied to my taking photos and videos and audio recordings, it's a little more unclear. I'll just have to keep
1: digging. It's never a oh, it's all bad or it's all good <laughs> you know it's 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 using technology in a way that that meets our goals that meets our purposes here, and I think the best recommendation is to think about what your goals and purposes are because that's one thing we just don't do a lot as people. We don't always reflect on why am I doing this, why is this important, and asking ourselves those those questions can help us choose behaviors that that help us achieve those goals. And and so, so technology can really benefit us in many, many ways, but it also can can put up a lot of barriers and keep us removed from the very essence of the human experience.
0: This podcast is produced, edited, written, and hosted by me, Sage Smiley, because it's my senior capstone, and of course I'm going to do all that myself. If you have comments, questions, hate my voice, or think I'm missing something big, Shoot me an email at memspodcast at gmail.com. That's M E M S podcast at gmail.com.